Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Day 12 of the World Cup. Top sides Germany and Belgium have been eliminated. Morocco tops Group F. Japan outclassing all in Group E. And Croatia and Spain also through. I'm your host, Amy Duggan. This is the Optusport Football Podcast. Let's get into the Gagan Pod. Great to be joined by a panel of former Socceroos players today. I welcome back Tommy Orr and Scotty Mack. Thanks for your company, guys. Pleasure. Thanks for having us on again. Good morning. And you, Scotty, not a pleasure, I see, but that's all right. Let's jump straight (laughs) into it this morning. What a morning of football it was. Hey, like surprise results. It left us in a true fight for first and second in Group E. And after upsetting Germany earlier in the week, Japan has pulled off one of the most incredible victories, this time over Spain. Of course, it came with some controversy, but let's talk about that. Scotty Mack, how did Japan pull this off? Well, if you had... Asked me that if they were going to pull it off at half time, I would have been absolutely no way. They were demoralised in the first half. Uh, you know the way Spain played; they kept the ball. You know, it's it's like watching the Spain of old when they won the World Cup in 2010. The way they were controlling the game as soon as they lost it, they pressed you. They won it back in the in Japan's half, and they were just popping them. And you just felt it was a matter of time before they got the second one. Obviously, Morata gets the the first goal, and it's it's well worked and doing what a lot of strikers don't do anymore, get inside that six-yard box, gets his goal. Um, but at half-time from there on in, and that's what I love about the ja- Japanese, is that their spirit never dies. You know, Their work ethic is always there. Um, they're, they're so humble in what everything they do, and they, they never lose sight of, of the goal at the end. Um, and they certainly were like that coming out in the second half, and how they fired out the blocks... Um, and got those two goals, you know. I, I switched over to Germany for two minutes, and all of a sudden it was 2-1. I'm going, what's going on here? Because I thought, Spain are comfortable. This this is going to be an easy victory for Spain. Let's go and have a look at Germany. Then bang, bang, all of a sudden I'm hearing, right, goals. I need to switch over again. Uh, it was just a dramatic morning uh, all around, but it was it was it's fantastic football, um, not just in that group, but we'll go on to the other group as well. But um, look, the Japanese seem to be more comfortable when they don't have the ball than when they have to get on the front foot, i.e. against Costa Rica. Um, so perhaps, obviously against Croatia in the, the round of 16, it's going to suit them again, sitting in and trying to counter-attack the opposition. Yeah, completely agree with Scotty. I think obviously this morning was a game of two halves and you know, following both of the games in this group you know, at different points in time, like every combination of the four teams were at one point going to go through to the next round. So the, the dynamics and the scores that every team needed was constantly changing. So I've never, I don't really remember, you know, a, a morning of World Cup or watching a World Cup group where it was, you know, all four teams were going into the last game and the last minutes of the game alive and still with a chance to go through. So it was, it was a fascinating morning. And yeah, as Scotty mentioned, I think this morning, you know, Japan in the second half came out all guns blazing and got two goals. The second one, obviously, fairly controversial, but I thought they deserved the two goals. And, um, you know, second half, Spain barely created anything. I think Olmo had one chance at the end, but, um, you know, Japan defended really desperately and 
as Scotty said, I think in the knockout rounds, they'll be uh, a, a team that nobody wants to come up against for sure. So there was one big controversial point in the Japan game this morning that I think we have to talk about, and that was the, the goal. Uh, was it a goal? Wasn't it a goal? What was your interpretation? And obviously it's what sent Japan through at the top of the group. So we'll be talking about it for some time to come. Yeah, absolutely. Look, for me, I couldn't believe it. I, I, I still can't believe it's been given. Uh, when you look at the pictures, clearly, clear as day, and I, I think I'm hoping Tommy's going to agree with me because I'm making a big point of this. But when you watch, you go, and, and it's getting VAR. You're thinking, ah, oh, it's no goal. It's absolutely no goal. Ball's over the line. It's, it's not going to be given. And then it's been given, and I'm, I'm still scratching my head. Some of the decisions at this tournament, that, and even the rules that IFAB make up or I didn't even know about. Is unbelievable. Like we seen an offside this morning where it was a fingernail as well for before when a penalty was given. I'm just I'm, I'm baffled by IFAB and and by the letter of the law at the moment. And if Spain go out of the tournament. That's absolutely mental to think, you know, because they go out because a ball that everyone thinks is over the line, it's been given a goal. So it's it just shows you. <laughs> I know nothing, absolutely nothing. <laughs> And the, the thing that I found amazing, and obviously I agree with you, the ball looked well and truly out, but of, the angles can be misleading, which is the, the counter argument to that. But, you know, why at this level isn't there a camera angle looking straight across the line where you can actually measure it? You know, that, that the, the camera angle, the best one, only allows for that argument to be, you know, strengthened because there's not the, the angle looking down the line. And I just don't understand at this level why... You know, it, it's not an uncommon thing to occur in a game. You know, did the ball cross the byline? So why not just have the definitive angle? Okay, so here's another theory for you then. Imagine that ball was actually over the line. So is that ball still in play and no goal? Or is it a goal? Yeah. Great question. Because that's a, complete, that's a complete opposite of <laughs> what, what's just been given. Because you would say that's a goal, right? Yeah. yeah. Exactly, <laughs> but... It, but it, it's the letter of the law that I'm understanding, then it's no goal. <laughs> yeah. So we need, uh, we need cameras on the corner posts, on the goal posts, and uh, looking down the line outward, not just inward now. But um, the ball does have, of course, technology inside it as well. The one angle that I have seen in defence of the referees, I can't believe I'm defending referees, but the one angle that I have seen comes from directly atop, almost like drone footage where by the slimmest of margins, the circumference of the ball still looks like it's on the line. So that's the only angle that I've seen and maybe can jump on uh, Optus Sport on the app and have a look at that if you, if you want to uh, decipher it and debate it a little bit more. Well, in both their victories, they've trailed at half time, haven't they? Um, so have they provided a blueprint for underdogs against the big teams as we head into the knockout stages, Scotty? Is it all about not so much possession and, and the counter? Well, it looks that way, doesn't it? I mean, the Socceroos have had success doing so as well. Uh, Saudis against Argentina. Uh, look, the lower-ranked teams seem to be look understanding that they have to give up a lot of the ball to and, and have that work ethic about them and that team ethic to gain success um, but have their special moments. We're seeing a lot of them at the moment. Um, however... It's great for the, the obviously the lesser teams, the lower ranked teams in the World Cup. I just find it's it's brilliant that we're getting these these special moments in the World Cup. However, if you look at World Cups gone back um, from eras before, you know when I'm younger, it was it was more about let's go out to win rather than not to lose. Um, and and I find the work ethic is totally different. 
the game's changed so much, and look, it's it's evolved. There's no question. Um, it's still wonderful to see these results. However, like 18% possession in a game, and you win 2-1. You, you're scratching your head if you're Spain going, how on earth is this happening? But I'll also tell you why it's happening. Because we don't have the art of the striker as much in the game anymore either. That out-and-out out number nine is very rare to find in, in world football now. So the art of scoring goals, the specialty of it, has almost disappeared. It's slowly coming back. Um, and I hope it does come back you know, fluently. Uh, but at the moment, those out-and-out out number nines uh, are few and far between. But I tell you what, there was a number nine that had a nightmare this morning, which we'll go on about uh, to talk about in the other group as well. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think another interesting thing is, um, you know, a lot of teams are struggling to break down the, the really compact, you know, lesser teams that, that defend resolutely. And, you know, the short lead-in time for this tournament could potentially be playing into that as well because teams didn't really have the, the month or the six weeks to kind of work on their front third combinations or build some understanding. They've kind of had to do it in the World Cup, in the matches themselves. And I think that, you know, the, the, the quality of the front third play maybe isn't as good as what we've seen in previous World Cups, but that's obviously to allowed teams, you know, that, that are defending and don't have the possession to, to be, yeah, to, to obviously get better results than they have historically. So I completely agree with Scotty with that. You look at it as well, uh, guys, uh, and that's why I love watching Brazil and the likes of Neymar now. Now, Messi and Ronaldo have got to the, the twilights of their career. They can't do it as often, but the 1v1 situation scenario, the Brazilians for me are still the ones who want to go and get in those situations and take you on. We're not seeing a lot of that within world football anymore. It's get the ball, move it, pass it, move it, create spaces, try and create overloads. Uh, play one-twos around people. We're not seeing that individual skill set as much or as often. And how many goals from long range have we actually seen? I remember World Cups going a, a by that, you know, there would be absolutely spectacular goals. We've had a couple, um, but it, it's more based on get the ball in, in the golden zones and get the ball in those sort of mid-wide areas and try and find cutbacks. Every team's philosophy seems to be almost the same, you know, in terms of that. And, and it's sort of making the game a little bit... Ugh, I don't want to say boring, but it's it's predictable, um, and that's the, predictable. And, yeah, and that's that's the worry for me in terms of the game itself. That everyone wants to find these percentages in the game, um, and we talk about you know with Teo earlier XGs and this that the next thing. Um, the unexpected is is the beauty of our game, and, and and I'd like to see a bit more individuality within it still. Yeah, and I think this morning, you know, t t going on what you touched on before about the, the lack of number nines influencing matches, you know, when Spain was 2-1 down, they, they subbed Morata off. And you know, in the last 20 minutes, they didn't really have anyone in the box to, to cross the ball to. They were playing around the box, but it was a lot of possession, but they had no penetration or no focal point. So I thought that was a, an interesting decision to sub him off in that context of the game, but it just kind of strengthens your argument that it was all too predictable for them after that. Well, Spain's journey does continue, so does Japan's. They've never made it to the quarterfinals before and will now play Croatia for that opportunity. So how do you like their chances, Tommy? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think, you know, it's like a lot of teams. You've seen two sides to them in this tournament. So, you know, when, when they're at their best, they're scintillating. And we saw in the first game, you know, winning 7-0, with the, the Spain winning 7-0, that they were, you know, people were talking, myself included, about, you know, they're going to be hard to stop in this tournament. But then you see this morning... 
the way Japan played against them, you can see a bit of a blueprint there for other teams to go and get a good result against them. So I can see this kind of um, going both ways. And we know they've obviously got Morocco next, which will be a really difficult game, I think, because Morocco's proven, you know, in their three tough games that they're, they're a very good side. So I think Spain's, um, yeah, I mean, I think they're up against it in that game. I still think they'll probably win, but it might be difficult. So, Scotty Mack, I just want to take you back off the back of that and the Japanese result to when Australia played Japan in Australia earlier this year because there was lots of criticism about Australia's performance uh, and the insinuation that we should have done better. Do these results from Japan shine a different light on that competition now? Look, I, I, I think because we're at home in that game, I think the criticism comes and because of success we've had previous results against Japan. However, Japan still, for me, are the best team in Asia. Um, I know they probably didn't win the Asia Cup the last time round, but they're always the strongest. Uh, if you look at their, you know, man for man, their 26-man squad and what they could have added to that um, that's not there um, in this World Cup campaign uh, and what they keep producing in their league and everything else like that, they're, they're always the strongest. And yes, it is a little bit harsh. Um, however, the expectancy for me is they were very unlucky in 2018 not to go through um, to the round of 16. Um, they've done magnificently well this time round to get through. Um, in terms of what they have done is they've got a lot wiser in international football, uh, Japan, you know, because obviously they have the Brazilian influence from many a year gone by with the likes of Zico and, and, and whatever else it's been, you know, through Japanese football. Um, and they like to play, you know, the nice passing style and almost pass it into your net. However, they've become a lot more resolute now as well in terms of without the ball. And they've got that Japanese work ethic um, within their system of play now that makes them doubly hard to play against in international football. Um, they still, For me, they still struggle to score goals. I think they always have done. And that's why when we play them, I always fancy us to, to score goals and, and beat them because they like to mess around with the ball too much when they have a lot of it, i.e. Costa Rica, when they play them. They can't finish the game off. They're better off playing this counter-attack of football. And that's why at this highest level, it's, the, the game is now suiting them. Let's uh, get back to today because Germany will be feeling a little hard done by. And so will Mark Schwarzer after all of his predictions. But Germany got away with the uh, 4-2 result but still missed out on going through this morning, beating Costa Rica, um, but ultimately eliminated on goal difference. What's the fallout? You know, two two World Cup finals not getting through the groove. I think there'll be a lot of questions asked, in, you know, back at home, but... You know, you look at the dynamics of this group and, you know, again, I actually thought in the first game Germany played a lot of good football, but that's the game that they'll be ruining as the one that, that cost them in this tournament because they obviously did the job this morning against Costa Rica, but against Spain they got a draw, which is, you know, it's always anything's possible in that game. But the, the first game against Japan was the one that let them down and I think that, you know, they didn't really do a lot wrong in this tournament. They had glimpses of fantastic football, but they just couldn't, you know, that first game, like I said, that, that, that killed them. And I think that that's the fine margins at this level. And obviously, you know, the pressure of playing for such a powerhouse nation, I think that the coach will be under a lot of pressure now. And, um, yeah, I'm sure they're asking a lot of questions because I don't think that there's been too many times, you know, in, in recent history where Germany's not made the finals two World Cups in a row. Look, I think um, I think biggest question marks for Germany probably will be where they've been so excellent in, in tournaments gone by is their back door, you know, their back four, um, the weak points, you know, within that. Obviously, Seoul and and look, 
David Rahm plays there. I mean, it's not the it's not the back four of old that that, that you'd see in in tournaments gone by. The by and we talked about number nines again. Um, he shuffled the pack with that many a time. Probably end of an era now for Thomas Muller. That's probably the last time I would imagine we'll see him in a in a German shirt. Um, I still. I'm a big fan of Leroy Sane and how he's been playing football. I did say, you know, in previous pods that I would have liked to have seen him get a lot more minutes. He did play from the start today, and I think that that helps him because, again, he's a guy that in a 1v1 situation, he's going to create something, uh, and I think that was lacking a little bit. But like Tommy said, the Germans didn't play particularly poor in in any of their games. Um, They just didn't get the results that matter, and that's that's very un-German-like. You know, you would say at times that the performance isn't there, but they get the job done. Um, it wasn't the case uh, in this tournament or the one before. Now, Hansi Flick's probably under a lot of pressure. Obviously, took over from, from Love um, from previous World Cup and has been around a long time. I don't know if the German FA will look to in a different direction. I think they'll, they'll keep with him. Uh, they, they've got a, a history of being loyal to their coaches, and, and I think it will be a progression now, but He'll have to get performances. He'll have to really, you know, hit the ground running in these uh, European qualifying campaign now uh, if he's to keep his job. And uh, look, I wouldn't say it's a rebuild for Germany, but, um, you know, there, there needs to be a few changes for sure. Does it raise questions, I wonder, and you don't have to answer this now, about their pathways, the quality of the Bundesliga, knowing that Germany were winners in 2014, now eliminated in the group stage of successive World Cups, and they're not the only big name that's been eliminated because Belgium and Croatia played out a nil-nil draw this morning, which saw the world number two, Belgium, also eliminated. Yeah, well, I think touching on the German one, you know, a lot of the, the... The big players that play for Germany now—they they don't necessarily even play in the Bundesliga. So obviously most of them do for for your big clubs. But you know, there's Havertz and these types of players at Chelsea as well. So, I mean, I think the Bundesliga still remains one of the the top leagues. I mean, it, it's the the gulf between the the Premier League and the rest is probably getting bigger every year. But I still definitely see the Bundesliga as kind of a good source of talent for their national team. I don't see that as being too much of an issue, but. Um, yeah, I guess, like you touched on, I think it'll be um, not so much a, uh, you know, they won't have to necessarily clean out the room and, you know, get rid of a lot of players, but I think it is definitely a little bit of a reality check for the national team. And um, you touched on Belgium as well, and I think that, to be honest, this morning was probably their best performance in the World Cup so far, but they couldn't get the job done and um, will be ruining a lot of the missed opportunities that they, they had in that game. Roberto Martinez is uh, obviously leaving Belgium following that loss. Have they wasted their golden generation by having him as the coach? Um, he was obviously sacked by Everton, relegated with Wigan. Are we seeing a pattern here, Scotty? That's that's harsh on, on Roberto Martinez, isn't it? Um, obviously, the failure to win anything with this group, though, uh, there always will be question marks as a as a coach because the, the level of quality of player that they've had in, the, in their golden generation, you'd have to say, um, throughout the last eight-year period and, and always just failed at the, you know, usually at the one of the last hurdles rather than the first one. But it, it goes to show that you can overstay your welcome. Um, and I think that probably Roberto Roberto's time is up, obviously, because his contract's up and he, he's now leaving. Uh, he's he's going to leave his director of football role within the FA, Belgian FA as well, it looks like. So it's an end of an era for, for Belgium and, and, and a different direction. 
Um, but you can see it was one tournament too many uh, in terms of motivating his players individually. And look, they're an aging team, um, but you would think, you know, their average age being 31 years of age, the experience of uh, tournament play within that squad, they'd be able to galvanize themselves and, and have a really good tournament and have a right good go before, you know, the last hurrah, you could say, for a lot of them. However, you'd have to, you would have to question the motivation of or the the quality of, of Roberto Martinez to be able to, to influence that squad and it looks like it's fallen on deaf ears and they're bored of the system and, and change is necessary. Yeah, because you, you, you look at the Croatia team and they've also obviously got a lot of experience and that, you know in their three games they played with a team that was full of energy and empowered. So, you know, they've obviously... Um, yeah, they're in a similar situation, I guess, coming towards the end of, of a bit of a golden generation, but they've managed to produced results on a more consistent basis so it's it's it was quite interesting that they both played each other this morning and it was kind of two similar themes for for both of the countries um going in and obviously croatia had more of the answers so is roberto martinez gone does uh Henri go with him or will there be a new boss and what do you think they're looking for there scotty well, it would be interesting to see. It's it's very it's always hard to pick a manager for international football, isn't it? And and who's willing to actually come across from the day to day of club football to the international realm. Um, however, you see a lot of within international football, the progression is usually the assistant coach. So could this be the role that Thierry has been waiting for? Obviously, been within you know, the Belgian ranks now for you know a good many of year that he is now the the natural progression for that job and will do things a little bit differently. Um, there's a certain possibility that that could be the case, I think, um, going with someone like that. Um, but we have to talk about as well, we have to talk about <laughs> Lukaku's uh, chances within this game to, to qualify Belgium for the, the next stages. He was rusty. Uh, it's a game of inches. Oh, my goodness. It's a game of inches, isn't it? But... Um, you know, he hits the post, you know, with a clear chance, and you're thinking, all right, you're not going to get any closer than that. Then there's a header, and then there's another, or there's a one that flashes across, it just hits him. You know, like you said, he's rusty there and, and, and not anticipating, and the one at the back post at the end, all he needs to do is fall over and let it hit him, and it goes over the line, and somehow it goes completely the opposite way. And sometimes you see Lukaku, and you think, he, he could, he's world-class, and... He's an unbelievable finisher. And then there's other times it looks like he's never played the game. Um, and certainly this morning, it was one of those occasions. It just looked big and clumsy. Um, and it, the, the whole Belgium nation will be thinking, how did we not win that game today? And that's the thing as well. You know, if he did score one of these goals, we wouldn't be having the same conversation we're having about, you know, Roberto Martinez and all these types of things. You'd be saying how well he did to galvanise his troops. So, I mean... For sure, I think there'll be a lot of questions asked and a, and a lot of criticism of Lukaku after after those misses. And obviously, it's difficult not to feel a little bit sorry for him. You know, I'm sure he's feeling the weight of the world on his shoulders at the moment. But that that's the fine margins. And if you don't take your chances at this top level, then you know you can't expect to to progress to the knockout round, really. No truer word, Tommy. All right, moving on. Canada topped the World Cup qualifying, obviously, and then after a 36-year absence made their return to the world stage. But the Maple Leaves went down to Morocco 2-1. Um, not to take anything away from the incredible achievement for Morocco, of course, because they sacked their boss three months out from a World Cup and they're now the first African side to top um, their group in, in 24 years. So super impressive Morocco, Scotty. 
really are, you know, in, in terms of this, the build-up to this tournament as well, um, under their new coach, their, their defensive record was fantastic leading into it. Uh, they've continued in that uh, vein of form as well, uh, building into this tournament. And I thought Hakam Ziyech was brilliant this morning. Um, obviously, player of the match for me. And um, what he does for Morocco, he's not been able to replicate at club level for Chelsea. Obviously, if you're a Chelsea fan, you're looking at him going, I hope he comes back and can replicate this and get the opportunity to play like this. Uh, but there's no question he's you know a big player for them and their talisman. Uh, but you have to say if you're Morocco and you finish top of the group, you're absolutely buzzing and you're going, this is great. Obviously finish top. We're going to get a weaker opposition. Nah, we get Spain. <laughs> they finish second and we're going to go now play Spain. So you're looking at that group and it almost suits Croatia to play Japan and Spain actually to finish second. If they're looking at it anyway, um, that they miss each other out and now they play, i.e. so-called weaker oppositions. Um, and I think it's going to be a big ask for Morocco this and look they have got a good defensive shape and the way that they play so they're going to be difficult to play but I still from what I've seen in that first half of Spain um, they're still now one of the biggest threats to this tournament they've had a blip but they get now a second bite at the cherry and I don't think they'll make the same mistakes twice. Well, Tommy, the goal that Morocco conceded this morning was the first they've conceded in six matches under uh, Waleed Regragi. So um, that says a lot heading into the quarterfinal against Spain. Absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, talking about what we mentioned earlier about teams that are, you know, very compact and difficult to break down doing well in this tournament, they've certainly been one of those teams. But I think that the point of difference for Morocco is the quality that they also have in the front third. Um, you know, the likes of Ziyech, like Scotty mentioned, but also uh, their striker who scored a great goal this morning and obviously had that one ruled out in the second half as well. Um, but I think they Morocco would have been nervous going into this game because there was so much on the line for them, you know, a bad result and they, they could have missed out altogether. So the gift that the Canada goalkeeper gave Ziyech in the first two or three minutes, that would have calmed their nerves, you know, massively and allowed them to kind of take the ascendancy in the game. So I think that... From that respect, it was a little bit of a gift. and um, But, I mean, you have to give them a lot of credit. They were fantastic value in this game. And, yeah, they, they're, a t- they're a team that plays with a lot of balance, I think. So, like you mentioned, the defence, they're defensively very compact. But, you know, the quality of players they have in the front third, they're always a threat to score a goal. So that I think that that's what's put them in good stead in this tournament. So last question before we take a little break, Scotty Mack, I'm picking up on something you said here about uh, Spain, you know, potentially wanting to play Morocco, seeing it as easier or the way that the draws actually worked out. Should FIFA consider perhaps a random draw situation for who finishes one and two uh, in this tournament as we move forward? Uh, look, I don't think you should change the the natural progression. If you finish top, you should finish, you should play a second place team. However, what you could do is is not make the draw as visible to all the teams. So you could randomly play any second-place team within the competition, not actually have a certain pathway that goes through, just like you would normally do in a, in a Champions League. You And maybe it would bring more drama to the to the World Cup where you do a draw after the group stages and you, you put them out of a pot and pot one, pot two, and then bang and you can have it that way. I think that would be a really good way to do it rather than actually know uh, what group you're actually going to play the the second or the first place team from. 
Yeah, I think that's there's definitely a lot of validity in that argument. And I think the the people organising the World Cup will probably be pulling their hair out at the the prospect of you know nobody knowing what city they're going to be playing in, what stadium, what time, you know, tickets and these types of things. So I think there's more than just the football that's probably you know factored into that decision. But at the same time, you know, I think that you know this morning the suggestion that obviously it's worked out for Spain that they, they, they might have a more favourable game in the round of 16, but at one point in that game, they weren't even going to qualify. So I don't think that you can make the, the claim that Spain manipulated the result or tried to engineer a result to get a more favourable draw because, you know, there was every possibility that they wouldn't even go through themselves. So I can definitely see strength in that argument to, to make it a bit more random, but I, I can't see it happening, to be honest. The only other point of view that I'd like to throw in there is the point of view of the player. Uh, you know, we've heard our own players uh, having a bit of a dig about the lack of rest time in between the games at the moment and uh, how that would play out for the teams that play earlier in the competition and would have a longer layover versus those that may have only played a couple of days before. So I think rest periods are something else we'd have to bring in there. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Okay, welcome back to the Gagan Pod as we now take a look ahead at Day 13 action. Group H is where our focus is at 2am Australian Eastern Daylight Saving Time. Ghana taking on Uruguay. This is a rematch of 2010 where Suarez infamously denied Ghana a spot in the quarterfinals with a handball on the line. Uh, Ghana can guarantee progression with a win or a draw if South Korea fails to beat Portugal. Again, so many connotations here. What are we watching for in this one? Oh, I think Ghana definitely will have a bit of an axe to grind with Uruguay after that. that, that what happened all those years ago. But I personally think that Uruguay will be too strong in this one. I think obviously they haven't had the results they've wanted so far, but you know you look at the quality they've got in their side and the experience, and I just think it'll be one bridge too far for Ghana, and I probably expect Uruguay to advance to the next round. I'm not going to stick my neck out on the line like Tommy did, did because I've done that a couple of occasions <laughs> already, and, and the surprises just keep surprising me within this World Cup. And Actually, out of all the African teams so far who I've enjoyed watching the most is Ghana. You know, the way that they've played um, and their attacking intent. They're exciting to watch and very unpredictable. So th this game could throw that up again for me. And, and the pressure's on Uruguay because there's a huge expe expectation with these bigger nations to, to get through uh, to the World Cup. Um, but, you know, the likes of uh, the Ghana and, and you know, Cameroon uh, look there's still an expectancy, but not as much. And they're living their best life at the tournament. And it's wonderful to see the atmosphere that the African nations create. We've seen it time and again. Senegal have been wonderful as well. Um, and look, it would not surprise me if Ghana caused an upset in this one. For what is probably, you'd have to say, a rebuilding stage for Uruguayan football. There is coming to an end with the likes of Cavani and, and Suarez also, um, who seem to be, you know, keep flipping. Darwin Nunes is playing up top. Valverde is a wonderful player as well that we've seen at this tournament who plays his football in Spain. So they've got some excellent footballers. I wanted to ask also, obviously there's the... Uh 
the get square coming from 2010 as far as Ghana's concerned. But Luis Suarez has been in the headlines uh, again, making comments about Ghana and then subsequently apologising. Do these battles carry over onto the field? Can either of you give me an example or a moment in your career where something off-field carried on-field? Oh, I can think of one from a few weeks ago where the, uh, the was it the Canadian coach made the inflammatory comments to, to Croatia and then... Oh, they were going to of... F Croatia, that's right. <laughs> yeah, so that was, that was the most recent example I can remember of, you know, things backfiring potentially and, I mean... I think that yeah, Suarez is, is smart, you know, because the he's probably trying to, to make the game more about the emotion and that type of thing. And, that, you know, the South American sides and Uruguay in particular, they thrive when it's like that. They, they you know, they play with their heart on their sleeve. And, um, you know, when the game becomes an emotional battle, they usually come out on top. So I've, I have no doubt that it, there might be a, a bit of a, yeah, it was a calculated thing for, by Suarez. Let's move on because South Korea also take on Portugal. Portugal are already through, but could we see a replay of what happened between France and Tunisia where players are rested? Yeah, I, I, I genuinely believe that, that you know, Portugal's quite strong enough to, to do so and, and they'll look to you know bring in uh, some fresh bodies and, and rest a couple as well. I don't know if one of them will be Ronaldo though. Um, you know, Obviously going for... You know, records himself. Uh, I can't really see um, him probably wanting to be rested for this one. He'll just see goals uh, and he's, he's naming lights. So, um, look, they're going to finish top of the group. Um, it's up to everyone else to catch them. Um, but, look, South Korea, you know, as we've seen with Chow, is a goal threat. So they, they have goals in them. Uh, and, look, again, with the surprises of we're talking about Asian football right now, could South Korea still cause an upset and, and be that third team to, to qualify for the next phases. It's still still a possibility. Yeah, and we saw in South Korea's first game against Uruguay that they're more than capable. And I think that, um, yeah, I still obviously expect Portugal to probably have too much quality in this game. But, you know, we've, we've discussed it plenty of times. But the teams with a lot on the line, the teams that play with that desperation and um, have been the ones that often have been winning the game. So it, it wouldn't be... Um, too much of a shock for South Korea to, to get a good result in this game either. Well, South Korea can still go through if they win and Uruguay beats Ghana by the same margin or if Uruguay and Ghana draw and they win by two or more goals. So just to throw a bit more confusion into there, it's, uh, it's still a possibility. It's still a possibility. In Group G, which uh, kicks off at 6am, Serbia taking on Switzerland. Switzerland can progress with a win or a draw if other results go their way. Serbia also still in with a chance, but they will absolutely need to win. So here we go again. Uh, the last game of each of the groups and we're down to a must-win situation. I think Serbia, you know, they, they went into this tournament with a lot of expectations on them. You know, you look at the quality and the depth of their side, particularly in the attacking kind of areas, and they're a formidable side. And, you know, looking at the games they've had so far, to only have one point, I think they'll be... There's a lot of pressure on them in this game. And um, Switzerland's always a, a team in major tournaments that nobody really talks about, but they always seem to do quite well. You know, you, I remember... In the Euros, not too long ago, they knocked France out in the in the knockout rounds. Um, that they always seem to find a way to win. So I, I, I probably I'm going to stick my neck on the line again, but I probably expect Switzerland to to do the job. But um, on paper, you know, that I think Serbia has probably got you know more more strength than than Switzerland. But so far, they haven't quite been able to do it. 
Yeah, look, I have to agree there, Tommy. I think, you know, with the, the firepower that, that Serbia have still in Vlavic and, and Mitrovic and, and a crazy story coming out, you know, uh, within the Serbian ranks that, that Vlavic has been having an affair with one of the other te- his teammates, his partner, is incredible uh, Yeah, in terms of, it, you know, the timing of it as well. Um, obviously, frigidly denied, um, but it's, it's time for them to do their football, you know, talking on the football, uh, on the football pitch now rather than off it. Uh, and I think they've got enough there and they're more than capable to, to now get through to the next... I think they'll be the guys that... I think they'll beat Switzerland and I think they'll be the ones that, that join Brazil in that group to the next phases. Well, speaking of Brazil, what happens in their match? They take on Cameroon. Uh, Cameroon need to beat Brazil. I don't know how likely that is going to be, but they then also have to hope that Serbia beats Switzerland by the same margin. But you'd think Brazil has this one in the bag, Um is anyone happy to stick their neck out and say uh, that they will win? Because as we've seen in this tournament, anything is possible. Yeah, I think that you look at the quality, the, the quality, sorry, and the depth of um, Brazil's side. You know, in the last game, obviously no Neymar, but they still got the job done. And I think that even if Brazil was to rest some important players in this game, the ones that come in will still have too much quality. So, I mean, you know, uh, no surprises from my um, guess for this game. No, absolutely. Look, Brazil all the way for this one. They will make changes, but you can when you've got 26 players of their caliber. Um, some of the some of the players have been coming off the bench in the in the most recent games. Um, and look, they're they're doing it well without Neymar right now as well, which they'll be hoping that come the round of 16, he'll be he'll be back to some sort of fitness to to give them a boost as well. Um, but they're looking very very good at the moment, you must say, um, and. My most enjoyable team to actually watch at the moment as well, so I'm looking forward to this one. I actually still think Brazil will win, so I'm, I'm holding on to that. Hope that they waltz through this one on to the next round and maybe meet Australia in the final. That'll do. Um, okay, final thought. If Ghana, Cameroon or South Korea go through, we will have the most non-European, non-South American number of teams in the knockout stages ever. Um, what does that say about how competitive the World Cup has become? The bridge in the, in the quality between the top sides in the world and the, and the sub-top is getting smaller and smaller, in my opinion. And this World Cup is kind of proving that theory correct. And, you know, as a lot of the, you know, as football kind of grows in Asia and Africa and there's more opportunity for players, there's less players that are kind of falling between the cracks. And there's probably more players from those leagues playing in you know the European competitions or the top leagues in the world than there have than there ever has been. So, I think that you know it, it's kind of making all the results in international football much more unpredictable, and it's you're not necessarily going to see the traditional powerhouses um, dominate the tournaments like we have historically, which is makes obviously the tournament more interesting, which this one has been so far. Yeah, look, um, I think Tommy's right in terms of the the involvement of the the African game, the the Asian game, has grown so much in terms of the the, the coaching that they get now. Um, you look at you know from a technology perspective as well, all around the world, uh, what you're able to to get your hands on, and the level of coaching. Um, you, you have to say, you know, these these other uh, nations now. Um, and in terms of the, the tactical play that goes into football now that wasn't there 20 years ago, um, you set up your team, you went out to play um, and hopefully you beat the opposition. Now it's like you, you do a real heavy analysis on opposition, how to break teams down, how to be resolute, which we've seen again with Japan particularly. Um, 
and look for me saying it's negative, um, which I think it is at times. It's successful, um, and and it's bringing success to the likes of the Asian teams more so than the African teams because they still have that little bit of excitement, flair about them, lack of discipline uh, in the African way. Um, but that's what makes them what they are. Um, but certainly, uh, Tommy touched on there. There's, there is a lot more players now playing in European football, particularly Asian, more than even African, because there was always a, a route for African players into Europe, uh, whether that be in France or Spain or Portugal. Um, but now there's been more of an acceptance in the Asian market to actually now go into Europe and European markets now going, actually, there is value for money there and we're going to bring them in. Mm, plenty to look forward to. It truly is the world game. And we can't wait for this tournament to continue to progress. But, of course, all eyes are on Sunday. Uh, the Socceroos' progression to the round of 16 has once again captured the Australian public, just as it did in 2006 during that golden generation of Socceroos. But in 2021, Optus Sport produced an award-winning limited podcast series that was called Football Belongs. Uh, it charted the cultural threads of Australian society through the lens of nine football matches that included the 2015 Asian Cup, AC Milan's infamous tour of Australia in 93 and that epic game against Croatia at the 2006 World Cup. So just take a listen. John Aloisi, can we replicate those scenes from 2006? People want more and to, to replicate that we need to get through the group stages and go even further so then we're creating history. I remember walking into the stadium in Stuttgart and having a powerful sense of the history of that moment. Now we are in, underway in Stuttgart. How incredible is this sport that at, on this one stage it can tell such a powerful, unique, incredible story. Its potential, where it could go if it could shed one or two things and embrace one or two others, are just so much about football says so much about Australia and vice versa. The amount of people dancing on the street, Federation Square going off and, and you know, just the people uh, having fun. We realised then that actually this could unite a country. It really is worth a listen and almost sounds like you could have produced it this week with everything that's going on. Search Football Belongs wherever you get your podcasts for that one and take a listen. Well, a big thanks to Scotty Mack and to Tommy for your time this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. Good to see you all again. Yeah, we'll be back, of course, to unpack all the upcoming games tomorrow. The Gagan Pods daily during the World Cup, so make sure you hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and rate all of us five stars while you're there. I'm your host, Amy Duggan. I'll be back soon. Speak to you then on the Optusport Football Podcast. Thanks for listening to The Gagan Pod. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.